welcome again. On this night, the darkest night, the pitch-black fog of the unfathomable beyond stifling the moon, when the veil between worlds is at its thinnest, unholy rituals are conducted in service of the old ones and long-forgotten malevolent forces. All manner of dark beings are unleashed upon the earth to feed upon the unwitting living. I find you once again on the unhallowed ground of my library of the damned. Come, I have something special to show you this time. The works of a true fear and dread maestro, a master of incomancy, harnessing true terror in the line and panel. I am, of course, talking about the great Janji Ito. Look upon his works and know the greatest and truest existential terror. Tonight, in the Loftweller's library, we are joined by Rahul. Hi, Loftweller. How are you? In the deepest part of this dusty old crypt, we have chosen a tome from the demonic collection of Junji Ito works for your Halloween reading. Yes, so we are back again with another Ace Comicals Halloween special. This is Afterlife Comicals Junji Ween. And uh, you can substitute the A in Comicals for a four because we're Hollywood like that. <laughs> Such high production values there, Greg. <laughs> it's fantastic. All I can no, it's just what... it's just like the naming conventions of horror movies. When you get past the third one, they start doing weird shit with numbers <laughs> to like. So you know it's the fourth one, but it's not the fourth one. It's like got a subtitle, and it's like we're not we're not doing the one two three four thing because we're cool. Uh -huh. Yeah, you it's know, like Fast so... and Furious going back to Fast and Furious, and I'm... I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or Resident Evil. That's probably village. a better, a better piece. Yeah. <laughs> or like <laughs> Halloween with a four instead of an A. And yeah. 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 Fucking number plate titles, man. <laughs> Seen it on the back of a Beamer. Right. Anyway, uh, here we are with the Halloween special. I am, of course, the Loft Dweller. I am joined by Rahul. Hey, dude. And we are here to discuss Junji Ito. So welcome to Junji Ween. Um, and uh, today we are discussing a single tome from the Library of Junji Ito. That is the Liminal Zone, which is the latest release. This is Junji Ito's latest story collection. It was originally released on the 26th of July, 2022, according to the official Viz site. But the Viz site tells lies because we had to wait a bit longer for it in the UK. Um, rest assured, though, it is available now. Uh, the book consists of four stories, four chapters. And they are each a short horror tale, as is Junji Ito's M.O. Um, if you've read any of his previous collections, it's, it's literally collections of short horror stories. Sometimes there's an overarching theme and you can string them all together. Sometimes there's like some kind of continuing narrative through them. Um, a la books like Tomie, Gyo, Uzumaki. Um, but this one, this one is a collection of four seemingly independent stories. Um, and Although they are seemingly independent, for me, they do actually appear to have a common theme of liminality. So there's this thing going on in the book of although there's not a common um, theme as explicitly as there are in other Junji works, like with Tomie, the common theme is the titular Tomie. Um, with this, um, we have the common theme of being stuck between or in the middle of changing states, as well as the duality of hot and cold emotion, anger and grief, 
contentment and despair. Um, and the clue actually is in its gorgeous cover with the two-faced goddess, anger and sorrow, red and blue, along with a lot of purple, which is the liminal between red and blue, right? Um, and, and I suppose this collection is overall an exploration of liminal states of being. And for me, it's a truly epic piece of work in that case in the horror sphere. If, if what I'm saying isn't just complete and utter horseshit, and uh, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't stared at it for far too long. What do you think, Ray? Do you agree with any of that? I agree wholeheartedly. I think you're right on the money. Although I would add, um, I think there is another theme running through the book that is also represented by the cover, and that's like the harms and expectations and violences placed upon women, which is a thing that like has come up in his books a couple of times before, but I feel like it tracks through at least three of the four stories here and to you know to varying effective degrees but i think that is also yeah. there as well as the liminal liminality spaces yeah yeah uh, yeah the spirit world of the real world and so on so four chapters um we have um a story called weeping woman way there is a story called madonna um there is a story called the spirit flow of alkigahara um i'm probably mispronouncing that only Help. mildly. <laughs> sure. Only mildly. Uh, okay. Yeah. How how do we say it then? Go on. Tell us. Aokigahara. Okay. So I wasn't that far away. You uh, you weren't you weren't you weren't far off. At all. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, the the last final story in the book is called Slumber. Um, and we're going to get into each one um, and have a little bit of a dive and discuss each one in in order. So these stories were originally available and serialized on the Line Manga app for smartphones and other devices. Originally, mm. um, this app was produced for licensed manga, but then it became a platform that also held original, that also holds even, it's not dead yet, original webtoons. <laughs> so um, webtoons are digital comics from South Korea and are specifically custom made to be read on smart devices. Does that sound like anything we've talked about recently on this, uh, this year, in fact, on Ace Comicals to you, Ray? Because it does to me. It sounds an awful lot like something called um, Aces Weekly, which um, mm. you should check out our episode on that and you should check out um, our conversation we had with um, the wonderful David Lloyd. Um, Aces Weekly is his, um, his brainchild. Um, and uh, it's, again, comics that are made specifically for digital distribution. Um, gather, just like as a quick aside, I gather yeah. Line, I, I thought Line was like a version of WhatsApp in Japan, or at least Japan and Korea and a few other places. Um, it does have I messaging gather, functionality. Yeah, I gather this is kind of like if yeah. Facebook released a manga app or like a comic, it would be on, on that sort of level. So it's interesting to see like where... Uh, yeah, creators are going to you know, put their works out. In. I think this was specifically during COVID nineteen, um, like during yeah. lockdown. He mentions it in the afterword and saying like uh, it yeah. was a, a a way for him to explore new ground and new a, a new place of putting his work because it allowed him some freedom from yeah like the structures of a rigid are you, are you, page manga. Are you reading? You reading my notes? <laughs> <laughs> not, not specifically, but again, like we yeah. we align on the same thing. Um, yeah, uh, yeah so, maybe I'm jumping ahead. We can wait till. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm literally about to say everything you've just said. So, um, <laughs> the the stories uh, were also printed in a Japanese magazine called Namuki Plus, which carries the catchphrase "A Strange Comic Magazine for Sleepless Nights." 
So this magazine evolved from a magazine called Namuki, which in turn evolved from a monthly a magazine called Monthly Halloween, which was originally horror slash occult girl manga magazine, which we know from our previous Jundi discussions is where Tomie was first serialized. Mm. Sounds like I'm describing a Digimon, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Namuki Digivolve 2, Namuki Plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... All of these stories contained within the liminal zone were created by Junjito during the COVID lockdown quarantine period, as Ray has already said. Um, there is a really great afterword, as Ray has also already pointed out, where he talks about his inspiration and thought processes behind the stories contained within and how much freedom he had regarding narrative and page limits when working for digital distribution versus print. So uh, into the liminal zone we go. I feel like we need some like theremin. Shit for that point there um so we start with weeping woman away so this one um was a tale about loss and mourning and it's a strange story about i want to say a curse of a professional mm. mourner um the very idea of a professional mourner seems strange to me but apparently it's something age old that goes back as far as ancient egypt um and the story that a young there's a, the story goes that a young couple happens across a funeral in a small town while they're on a pre-wedding trip and uh, the funeral is attended by a professional mourner and after that the crime begins and it never stops um so ray um let's uh what what did you have any thoughts about weeping woman way yeah i just wanted to point out that i th i think the technical term for somebody who's a professional or paid mourner is a moirologist I don't know. That's that's Google just telling me that. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but that's a great word, moirologist. Moirologist. Um, yeah. Um. And it, yeah, that's that's the thing that I've seen crop up in a few yeah. uh, pieces of media I've seen lately. So I think there was the uh, film The Farewell. Um. I don't know if you saw that one. No. Uh. Yeah. It's a, there's a majority of that movie is set in China. And it shows. Yeah. You know, some professional mourners sort of weeping at different. Um, different graves which is interesting like it's not something that's in in my culture but yeah it definitely exists and it still persists this day as far as i am aware um yeah but yeah it's an interesting concept and i i love the idea of like you said you called it a curse and i i wrote down is it a curse or is it a duty like i feel like this is one of those things around the um the harms against women and the the, the duties they're expected to observe where it's it's a room full of women or like a town full of women who are weeping in order to save the spirits of the damned, right? Like, it, it, yeah, is, it, yeah. is it something they've been cursed to do or is it their duty to do it or is it something they've fallen into? And that's kind of what this story yeah. ends up around. And it's, it's a really like interesting a... concept and it has like some amazing um, imagery that goes along with it. Like, yeah. I gather the, the concept of a woman who weeps so much that it leaves troughs in her chest is a is an old japanese tale so like he's taken junji has yeah. taken this uh this folklore adapted story it's a theme of uh, traditional enka ballads mm, right right so it's a common theme for those so enka it's like it's like um traditional japanese popular music um and it's ballads and um it's the usual ballady content and uh i think weeping a woman who cries so much that gutters form on her cheeks that are called sobbing roads <laughs> is uh something that it crops up quite often in these sentimental ballads if and, and again this is something junji mentions in the afterword for the book because he spends a lot of time discussing his ideas there behind each tale and it's quite interesting to read um 
you also said because you you really like the 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 word for a professional mourner was it moirologist or something yes yeah because because you reminded me of my favorite word which is corruptora <laughs> what does that mean it's this, it's it's like the 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 order like the the latin order for bats bats are the, the order corruptora huh cool. yeah yeah i like it it's my favorite word mm -hmm. um but like um it's i mean they used to pay people to professionally mourn in the uk you could hire people to pack out mm -hmm. funerals mm -hmm. at one point and they stopped it um so it's like it's like it's not just a it's like a worldwide phenomenon in well not i, I want to say worldwide i mean like it's in a lot of places. Yeah, it's not exclusive um, to just Asian culture. Yeah, yeah the yeah. the thing the thing it's kind of I find it the idea of it though a little strange. Like, how can you mourn someone you never knew? Ever like how do you how do you produce emotion like that for someone that you've never even shook hands with? Is a bit weird. Oh, I'd do anything for the right paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, it's um, there is some really cool imagery here, and and like I I in my mind it's a curse because it has this kind of like virulent quality where they see the professional mourner, and then afterwards, um, the girl, uh, who is there with her husband to be is now inflicted with this like inability to stop crying after seeing the professional mourner. So it has this kind of like virus quality to it. This like contagion kind of thing going on, which I kind of like, mm. which kind of makes me, it kind of puts me in the mindset that it's more of a curse. Um, and yeah. again, mm. another way to describe, like you talk about the harms visited upon women and things like that, and, and the duty that they're expected to carry out to, to mourn, to save the souls of the dead. Mm. Um, but I mean, could that, infliction also be an affliction or a curse i mean absolutely because there's yeah another another one of the things i wanted to bring up about that overrunning theme is like how these harms are enacted by men like how i i <clears throat> i'm not exactly sure how i feel about how this is written into the stories because sometimes it feels a little bit underwritten like it's almost thrown away so in this story um mako the protagonist um, we get a we get a, a very th quick throwaway line from her father saying how he were you know he was a bad dad and he enact he's, he put these harms onto her and therefore gave her the like uh, the the personality the sad spirit the you know the the true knowing yeah. of true mourning um, that made her potentially susceptible to you know the virality as yeah. you said of this of uh, this weeping woman quote unquote syndrome and like I, I wish there was a little bit more to it than just that but it plants the seed of a really interesting idea there of like yeah. where does it begin and like um where does it what was it was it innate to her or is it something that she was uh drawn yeah. to because of something that was passed on to her because she was uh mistreated or maligned or yeah. is it just that she is <clears throat> the next one true god because like part of the story is there was another previously had the like it's about a town full of women who who weep and their tears sort of regrow the land help the cleanse. town ex exists and also doesn't exist yeah again in yeah. as you were saying in this liminal space but part of it is that there was an instigator there was yeah. this one woman who uh who had so many tears that it regrew the land of the um in this town which uh suffered from a drought and 
she'd been quote unquote dead for 200 years, but still wept. And there'd been nobody like her since then until Mako came along. And there's this interesting thing of, yeah, is it cyclical? Was, is she the true chosen one again? Or is it that she'd been given these harms and that made her, I don't know. I, it feels like you yeah. can fill in a lot of these gaps yourself. And it's not really yeah. explicit in the story at all, but you know, it's, it's yeah. nice to, it's nice that there's enough play there. Yeah, and, and as with everything, every Junjito tale we've ever discussed, the escalation is the beauty of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a strange and twisted, but also, in my mind, it's also, it's also, it's dark and it's also humorous in a way. Like, I love the idea of this crying corpse in this hidden town of weeping women under some kind of curse. Like, the apex of true sorrow being the rivers of tears flowing from a woman who was unable to stop crying even in death. Like... And well, there's some I, I, really fun, like it, like this is like the apex of true sorrow, and you'll see why I say that when we discuss the next story. But sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say how, um, just to touch on your point about it being like darkly comic. Yeah. One of the things about all of these stories, and in particular this book, I generally don't find them very scary. I don't find them scary in the way that I can be affected by film. And certainly the way that I can be affected by horror video games. I think I find it very difficult to be scared by a still image. But the enjoyment I get out of these books is that they're graphic and sometimes gory. Like I think the final story is the, is the goriest in a way that you don't often see Junji Ito go gory. But that, like, that sense of dread and like it, uh, imagery that is... Um, what's that word that Vicky perfect for describing this. like that unsettling uncanny uh yeah. artistry yeah. that junjito has it it's for me it's always comedy that is the enjoyment that i get out of it because everything is so absurd so over the top so um uncanny that it makes me giggle more than fear and i understand the fear response but it goes the other way for me and i i get a lot of pleasure from how funny i find a lot of this artwork and then the times when it borderlines on like being fearful for me are images like not so much like the desiccated corpses and stuff. Cause again, that doesn't really affect me, but there is one fantastic image in this first story where you see, you see the, the desiccated corpse of the previous woman lying there and you see her from this front angle and you see her from behind and stuff, but you never really see her from the side. And then you get this incredible image where you realize that her sunken eye holes and like, troughs in her face when you view it from the side on you can actually see through one eye hole and out into the other and like yeah. that's one of those and in the background is Mako with like what looks like milky tears flow like streaming pouring from her eye sockets and that juxtaposition of like desiccated corpse that you can literally see through and then Mako sort of like uh, gushing in fear is incredible and really affecting and really really funny at the same time and also really tragic and like mm. it's it's just brilliant. It's like my favorite type of his art. It's it's a little bit Twilight Zoney more than it is horrific, isn't it? Yeah, I would say that again. Yeah. Twilight but Zone, I, but without without the morality, but, there's not. But often... then, like it, it it has the strange like that goes with it the liminal zone, like like mm. almost like Junji's done his own Twilight Zone. But it's not necessarily a fable because like Twilight Zone yeah. is very preachy in some ways. Whereas yeah, but this, this, is, this it, is just weird stories for weird people. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to malign the work, even though I think this is one of his weaker works, actually, which you can get to in a 
conclusion. Yeah. But like it's not it's not my favorite set of his stories, but yeah. I also don't want to brush it off as like oh it's just it's just silly stories, right? Like it, it kind of is. I love that some of these stories are like he mentions in the afterword. Um, some of these stories are born of just him wanting to make a pun and then writing a story around a pun or like having a wouldn't this be fucked up scenario and then writing a story around it. But then he does find ways to make the art uh, satisfy those moments, yeah. if not the story. The, the the crying corpse in this one is is just like chef's kiss. Yeah, I mean, it's the money like, shot, right? Like yeah. it's the uh, yeah, it's the it's. It builds up so well to that, yeah. like shocking page turn reveal of being able to see through her eyes, and I thought yeah. that was such a smart, like, uh, I don't know, yeah. comic art design choice. Mm, definitely, and like it's just some other fantastic moments in the story, and mm. like the corpse having valleys in her face from the endless crying, which you've talked. It's like it's the way that Junji Ito represents twisted decay and the extreme end of grief. Like what he's done is he's taken the feeling of grief and he's like does what he normally does and he's escalated it to its like its its utter like final point basically or as far as he can take it and yeah it's just it's just incredible how that works um, so that is Weeping Woman Way and uh, we're going to move on to the second story now so I was talking about the duality of this book and I was talking about how the first story is the extreme end of grief. Well, I, I think that Madonna, the second story in the book, represents the extreme end of anger. So we've got grief mm -hmm. as the cold thing and then anger, the hot, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this one is about Catholicism and religious idolatry. Um, and it is completely juxtaposed to Weeping Woman Way in that it goes to the extreme of anger and wrath. Um, it, it couples this quite nicely with the religious imagery and to great effect. It carries with it some of Junji Ito's signature faces of contorted and twisted fury. Like he does this thing where he draws like psycho people like really well. Um, and he gets That's he like, really gets across the, the the kind of like the full someone becoming a monster completely overcome by their emotions and rage. Like the full ugliness of the emotions of jealousy and hatred are on display in these panels, along with some extremely powerful and cool imagery. Um, yeah. So sorry, Ray. No, gonna I was say. just gonna. I was gonna support your point by saying he's got. He's very good at drawing like slightly too tall, gaunt people. Yes, like ga gaunt faces that are stretched out vertically a little bit more than they should be, and like using that as a representative of them being like corrupted what's, by anger. What's the story he did about that? Where it's the model oh, who everyone thinks is incredibly beautiful, but she's just like really tall and weird looking. Wasn't that part of Tomie or was that a different story? It wasn't Tomie, it was something else. It was like a mm. short story, did, but I can't remember what that one's called. It, it was adapted into your... animation. Yeah. Um But yeah, uh, there's like this this whole thing going on here with um revolving around the word Madonna and the characters used for Madonna in Japanese. Um also translate as um angry witch woman so like the, the, you can use the characters for angry witch woman and then you put them all together into one word it makes madonna i think is something like that yeah yeah um because like donna means woman so yeah ma, and then the two kanji before it yeah and um it's like basically there's this catholic school this catholic boarding school and um 
quite obviously the priest in charge is a massive creep because go figure it's a catholic school like how else is that going to work um the they do it to themselves like the church writes its own parody simply by existing in the state that it does and by often allowing abuse to happen and being complicit in it and protecting those abusers it, it creates these its own creates its own it create it, it does this to itself it provides its own material um mm. and uh yeah so go figure yeah um it's 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 a typical catholic boarding school is what i'm trying to say uh <laughs> And um, you've got this uh, this this woman who's um, kind of like a um, matriarch of the school. Kind of, she's in charge in some capacity, but I can't remember what. She's not like a headmistress. She's like just, she's like a deputy head, I suppose. Um, and um, she has this kind of what what's what's happening is the uh the, the priest in charge of the school has chosen her as supposedly uh the virgin mary reborn and everyone it's kind of like it's less of it's less catholicism and more like some kind of like cult of the virgin mary going on because they're all worshiping the virgin mary and um they're worshiping her as if she is the virgin mary um, and she's been chosen as the most recent Virgin Mary in a line of women that have been chosen as the Virgin Mary because the guy in charge is an absolute creep dickhead. Um, and um, she has this weird ability to turn people into salt, which comes from the story of... Um, I can't remember the name of the character from the Bible now, but um, there's a story about a guy whose wife gets turned to salt. Lot. Lots, that's it, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, so you've got all these, like, salt corpses dotted around, people being turned to salt slowly by the anger and wrath of this woman um, as she, when she's presiding over the school. Like, she has this, like, sheer anger and wrath um, that she directs at the other pupils, at everyone else. Um, and she's just like slowly turning them to salt and they have like salt coming out of their ears and stuff. <laughs> um, and um, like the Catholic girls in the school, um, there's some kind of cult of the Virgin Mary. And according to the author, it's like the, the, they, they call her Madonna. But when they, when they call her Madonna, they're doing it in like a kind of like a school kid making it like, like kind of like an underhanded insult because they're calling her angry witch woman. Mm. Um, and it kind of like escalates and boils over at the end. And you've got like a salt body on a crucifix on a pile of salt bodies. And <laughs> this, this horribly twisted, contorted, angry woman charging through the school um, after her, sexual predator of a husband has decided to set his sights on one of the students to be the next Madonna. Mm. Um, she kind of barges in and stops anything before anything truly terrible happens. And then she's angry, enraged and starts turning everyone and everything to salt. And then the whole building comes down in a ball of flames, which is like the ultimate expression of wrath. Mm. Um, and that's why this is just like the complete, juxtaposition to the first story that's in the book so i mean any other thoughts ray on madonna no i think you summarized that really well 
um <laughs> like basically every note that i had uh, has been covered apart yeah. from i guess towards the end like one of my uh, I, I guess my favorite uh culminating shot in this story is like uh the church fire gets zapped with lightning and then the bleeding there's, there's a statue of uh, of mary who's bleeding from her eye sockets and yeah. then like the statue crumbles apart and you find as you would expect from a Junji Ito story, a desiccated corpse inside of, I think, was the uh, the first the previous Madonna. Of, uh, yeah, the previous Madonna. Just, uh, and then, like, <laughs> a really, a really kind of like darkly comic, um, like Reveal. blueprint uh, picture of like her with her hands demurely crossed across her, her front, like yeah, buried inside the statue, which is, I don't know, with him sort of gurning in the foreground. I, Funny and tragic and sad all at the same time. Uh, yeah, a yeah, yeah. And um, it, it once again great escalation and an ending of pure self destructive all engulfing fury. Um, and yeah, and the corpse inside her, the Madonna reveal. Yeah, she does like a side blast and turns basically every student except for one into a into salt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that one's very cool. I also like <laughs> the the final money shot of. Um, uh, Maria, or like the priest holding his hands against Maria's head, and then he slowly starts pouring salt from all of the, his like facial orifices, and yeah. you see him slowly like crumple like a glove that's being emptied, which is skin bag of salt. Yep, <laughs> salt from the inside out. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's the second story in the book. Um. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna pick the best one at the end. We're gonna pick a favorite each. Okay, because yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I'll keep my opinion to myself. And... All right, carry on. What do you mean, keep your opinion to yourself? Well, because I was going to say, uh, can we talk about how slight and rushed and sort of like uh, flat the ending of this story felt? And I guess what that really is me saying is like this was possibly my least favorite of all of them, um, just because right. it sort of it explodes and then ends, and then I don't really. Yeah. And this is what that thing I was trying to say of like, is it just a a fun concept? that uh, he's written a story around and then there's not really much of an Aesop or a but, fable or a, a plot but even if, as such. If, like, even if it is a fun concept, he's packed an awful lot of content in there. Like, there's a, lot, there's a lot to look at and a lot to see and a lot to, like, discuss like we just have. So I, You're right. And I, I think that indicates his value on its own merits of, like, the art sort of... And again, this is what I said earlier. Like, I think that art is enough value in and of itself but i do yeah. leave this story thinking like what was the point of that? <laughs> um and not that there has to be I, it can just be a vehicle yeah. for uh like some amazing artwork and some um funny tragic plot points but yeah i just i i ended this one feeling a little bit flat despite how yeah. tragic and violently it ends and uh, i don't know i wasn't wondering if you felt the same no i think i think it ends perfectly if it's supposed to represent pure wrath and anger yeah tragic violent explosive Mm. Yeah, I, I I quite like the ending of that one. Fair play. Um, so the spirit flow of uh, Alki Gahra, um, Alki Alki Gahra. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is very strange and also weirdly funny. Uh, it dips into a bit of body horror and it also sits firmly within the supernatural. Again, containing themes of extreme hopelessness and sorrow, um, even suicide. Uh, and becoming one with the spirit flow. Um, 
and and becoming smooth and streamlined like a pebble in the ocean. It's so weird. <laughs> it is so weird. And there's this horrifying streamlined twisted forms at the end, and it's just the slow transformation of the characters. The idea. So the idea of this one is that there's a couple that are looking to commit suicide because one of them has a degenerative, I'm assuming, terminal disease. Um, and they're in uh, Alkigahara Forest or uh, the Sea of Trees, which is um, it's sometimes referred to in Japan as the most popular site for suicide. Um, they've uh, found an awful lot of bodies there. Um, I've got some figures here from the Wikipedia page. So 2003, they found 105 bodies in the forest, which exceeded the previous record of 78 in 2002. Um, in 2010, the police found more than 200 people having attempted suicide in the forest, of whom 54 completed the act. Suicides are said to increase during March and at the end of the fiscal year in Japan. As of 2011, the most common means of suicide in the forest were hang or drug overdose. Hmm. Um, yeah, and this... yeah, in in recent years, they've they've stopped publicizing the numbers in an attempt to kind of decrease the association between the forest and suicide and try and kind of like deter people. They have a sign um, at the entrance um, which urges suicidal visitors to seek help and not take their own lives. Um, and they've been doing body searches annually uh, and they've been conducted by police and volunteers since 1970. Mm. Yeah, this is um, the forest that um, Logan Paul famously very tone deaf walking and quote unquote, yeah. coming upon a dead body. I think um, I think tone deaf is an understatement. <laughs> I mean, yes, of course. Um, but this is uh, I, I believe that's what's being alluded to in this story when towards the end the YouTuber a, turns a YouTuber. up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. So yeah, it, it's got some extremely cool imagery and. Um, Basically, they, they go into the forest and they're looking for a good spot. Um, and from the outset, like, they've brought a tent with them and they've brought some supplies. So it's almost like they're not 100% convinced that they're going to go through with it. And um, you kind of feel like they're not, they're, their hearts aren't entirely in it from the start of the story. Well, actually, since you brought that up, um, one of the things I was going to bring up is that I didn't think it was clear from the very start that they were both going to commit suicide. I thought she was there to accompany him as he chose to commit suicide because he's the one with the terminal, right? Did you? No, they were going to die way? together. They well, were, where does it? Where does it? I, I know they say at the very beginning, like, um, I mean, uh, his girlfriend Mika came with him, saying they would go together. I read that, yeah. like, I read that as, de in hindsight, deliberately ambiguous. I'm not reading it as though they went in to commit suicide together because I think that does exactly ring to your point of like i don't think her heart was in um because like yeah. it's only halfway through the story that she from my point of view not realizing they were together where she says we were supposed to do this together like it's one of those things that um i kind of like and dislike about these stories is where there's some lore that i feel is quite throwaway because i didn't i guess i didn't read it the way that you read it and how did yeah. that change the story for, you? for me that was like a revelation that she was supposed to kill herself as well um but she couldn't follow through so, in the way that he was doing it I, and you know obviously he feels helpless and he's just had this horrible revelation from the doctor that he's not you know he's got a degenerative disease and he obviously figures he wants to die on his own terms and i'm assuming that her she as his lover has decided that she wants to 
die along with him maybe she feels a sense of duty to do that again picking up on the thread that you laid down of of junji ito's um uh writing in of the the harms and expectations of women visited upon women because mm-hmm. um, that was going to be my point is like yeah if you read it as though they're going to commit suicide together from the start then that that sort of dissolves but the, i guess the reason i did read so much into that was because like yeah i had that question of like why is she choosing to kill herself alongside him why is her she... heart's not entirely in it but maybe she feels like she has to right and i th- and that leads to my point of like i wish that was explored a little bit more even yeah. though it kind of it, it does a nice flip at the end of the story where she's the one who ends up embracing quote-unquote true the true salvation offered yeah. by the forest or offered by the uh the the pool of the dragon spirit and like yeah sorry continue i, I just i just thought that was interesting I thought it, was, it is uh, interesting very interesting that we had a that we had a different read on it right from the get-go. yeah so they're hiking through the forest and they happen upon uh, a bunch of trees that have been completely stripped and smoothed like almost as if you know when you pe- peel the bark off a piece of wood and it's all new and smooth underneath mm-hmm. right and there's like a whole row of trees like this that goes as far as you can see in both directions. And they're like, okay, let's follow this. So they follow it and they reach the entrance of a cave that looks like a dragon, which is really well rendered in my opinion. Like I love the design of that cave. I could <laughs> yeah. stare at that for hours, man. Like it looks like a dragon. It's so good. Um, that's like probably one of my favorite sort of like um, pieces of work in this story. Mm. Um and then, but what happens is there's a spirit flow that is ejected from this cave, um, legendary spirit flow that is ejected from this cave and then goes to another point in the forest. And it either goes um, into the afterlife or it goes to another point in the forest and, and is fed back round in a cycle. And no one really knows what happens with it or what it actually is, whether it is in fact, you know, supernatural or something else according to the exposition dumped by the uh, suicidal boyfriend. Um, <laughs> now, this, um, this actually comes from the fact that, um, like, the, the, the forest um, has been associated with death for a long, long time. Um, and um, we think that the forest... Um, is well but they the legend has it that the forest is reputedly haunted by uh the um the spirits of those um left to die um they're thought to be spirits barred from a peaceful afterlife because of the nature of what of of how they took their lives and and so on and so forth um so this this is kind of like sort of like feeds into the local legends around the forest anyway so there's like a lot of a lot of lore and legend around this forest anyway, which you can go and find out um, and read about. And it's really interesting. Um, and um, yeah, this just extremely cool imagery of the sheer force and power of this spirit flow, which basically just like as soon as it happens, you see the spirit flow on the page and it's just like sheer, like sheer force communicated so well from panel to panel. Um, and like, you know, you see this dragon-shaped cave ejecting it like a dragon's tongue or a dragon blowing fire. Um, and it's just like, you, you can feel the force of the spirit flow. Like, you could feel that you would be, like, completely ripped off your feet by it. 
when you look at that page. It's incredible. Um, and it's um, you, you feel the driving force. You get a real sense for it. Um, it you know, with the build-up of the story, with the trees that have been smoothed and stripped bare, there's a lot of, like, foreshadowing that tells you how powerful the force of this spirit flow actually is. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it, it, it gets weird from there because the, the guy um, decides that he's going to let the spirit flow take him into the afterlife and he jumps in. And then um, later on, uh, his girlfriend finds him again and he looks a little bit smooth. Well, that's the and thing. He, he jumps in, but then you realize afterwards when she finds him the next day that he didn't quite commit to succumb yeah. entirely to the flow. He held on. To one of those trees and let the uh, let the spirit flow exfoliate essentially yeah. right yeah yeah <laughs> so when we see him in his his first form he's exfoliated <laughs> um he's looking very smooth and he's feeling better um and he's like well i don't feel hungry i don't feel like i need anything the spirit flow is all i need and he decides he's going to stay in the woods for a few days and use the spirit flow because maybe it's maybe it's fixing his illness um so she comes back to visit him and uh, he's now got a friend who's also been jumping in the spirit flow. And as they've been jumping in the spirit flow and getting more and more sanded down and exfoliated, <laughs> they're also losing their clothes. <laughs> and now they're both, are they, at this point, are they both wearing like little denim hot pants? Pretty much. Yeah. They got cut. Off yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and they're just getting smoother and smoother and weirder looking and weirder looking um yeah more like and more longer and gaunter and shinier and... streamlined streamlined <laughs> so they continue to just jump in the spirit flow night after night um and at one point they're both completely naked and completely smooth and streamlined and they're just both obsessed with how smooth and streamlined they are almost like it, it kind of like takes over takes over them that they're getting smoother and more streamlined and that's like the complete object of their life now mm -hmm to continue jumping in the spirit flow. Um, and the, it, it escalates to the point where we get these um, really kind of like, um, I want to say mutated, but I don't think mutated is the right word. What do you call it when some, it's not mutated and it's not mutilated either. Is it mutilated? Would you go with that? I wouldn't call this mutilated. It's like they've been stretched out. Like they've been um, yeah. like uh, needed. You know what I mean? Like needed, like dough almost. Streamlined. Stream, yeah, yeah. The reason we keep keep saying streamlined Plain. is the word they use in the story. Just so. yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, they become like lithe and uh, lanky, sort of like uh, smoothed out, and I don't know, a bit more uh, like you would. They become a, a bit more alien, like I think. Smooth, as well. stretched, alien-looking. They look like um, like flatworms. Or something. That's certainly where they're heading to. So, yeah. Yeah, and and they have like weird little faces where their eyes and mouths still are. Um, and it's it's like basically this is these are the forms that these horrifying forms are what's left behind of people that have become addicted to swimming in the spirit flow, because the spirit flow, um, washes you smooth like a pebble in the ocean. Um, so yeah, if you've got if you've got bad skin. <laughs> go find the spirit flow um and yeah these these streamlined forms are just so utterly bizarre and also again it's, it's something i'm like am i am i supposed to laugh at this or not 
I think you're supposed to laugh at me. I also, I, I wanted to touch on this, and I'm, I don't think I'm fully qualified to, like, finish this point, but it's just a seed of a, a thing that I was thinking of, where, like, they, their bodies are transformed and become more live, and with that, they become more confident, and, I guess, more yeah. sensual as well. And yeah. I think there's a weird conflation of this corruption they're going through, and then, like, the... um. The, the playfulness and the like borderline sexuality or sexualness that they're finding in each other, like these two men, that they start yeah. licking each other because they're enjoying each other's lithe bodies. I think there's a slightly distasteful connection going on there that I don't want to dive too deep into, but I think that's yeah. a little bit unfortunate and uh, I'm kind of choosing to look past that. I can, see, I can see that and it's a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I can see yeah, that. I, I understand I what you're getting at. Yeah, there's some like unfortunate implications yeah. around why they're enjoying each other's bodies dis after having gone through this corrupting force. So we'll, I guess we can go past that. But they do, I think it is kind of like darkly comic. And I, I think that's it, part of what made me um, think of this is like, it's funny that they're sort of rolling around over each other and licking each other. But it also puts me a bit on edge because not because the image of that puts me on edge, but the, the concept that I just described, I think, is a little bit thoughtless. and has potentially sort of um not well thought out consequences i guess yeah so the rev the yeah it just put it puts me on edge but not maybe not for the right reasons i guess well you, you, it's a, it's it's it, it could be read as ever it could be read as problematic yeah 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 um and the reveal killed me but it was also terribly strange so the reveal when they get into the cave and see all these like weird streamlined forms Mm. Like it, it killed me laughing, but it was also terribly, terribly strange. Well, it reminded um, me of um, the I forget the full title, but the Amagara Fault one. You know, like where it's the uh, yeah, this yeah. this hole was made for me. I feel like it's a very similar story, but in the opposite direction. Whereas like Amagara Fault is going horizontally through the brick, whereas this is going vertically up from the pool. Like it is basically the same kind of story where like going through this process, entering this thing entering the life stream, entering this um, spirit flow, uh, put, forces them through this transitional process, and they end up like squiggly worms. I, it's almost the same story, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, with very similar consequences, where they, they end up as, as you said, table worms yeah. at the end. You said squiggly worms. Mm -hmm. What was that, that game, that, that kid's game that was like, it, I, it, I think it that had was... worms that used to come out of apples? Wiggly worms. You just can't. Catch That's them. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the advert, wiggly worms. You just can't catch them. Yeah, yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. You, you... I had that as a kid. Sure, I had <laughs> I, that. I never. I wanted it, but I never. It was never. Yeah. Bought. So, yeah. Um, that is um the spirit flow of Alkigahara. Alkigahara. We, we, we've kind of not touched on the very final point of this, where it's that. Um, yeah. Uh, what was her name? The, the who is it about? It's uh, Mika. Sorry. Yeah, Mika. Uh, yeah, she Mika, because because of the taunting of these two guys, where they're like, "Oh, you can't. Uh, you don't have the bravery it takes to jump into the spirit flow." And spirit she realizes flow. actually, they're they're the ones who are not succumbing fully to it. Like, if you want to be brave, you have to dive in fully. She chooses to dive in fully and be swept away by the flow, and ultimately she ends up inside the the dragon's cave floating sort of mysteriously in the water and they yeah. encounter her and uh, it ends on kind of like a a bittersweet note where they they all decide to succumb to the flow together 
and they just yeah. they repeat their lives through the flow over and over and over again, enjoying the sensuality of like being part of this swept away uh, mystical force. And I think that was a surprisingly nice ending story yeah yeah definitely um i yeah I, I really like that ending that she's like now some kind of like ascended being and all these kind of like weird streamlined beings that are around her have not quite reached the full level <laughs> yeah and they all just get to be yeah. like sexy and smooth together in a big pool yeah isn't that what all of us want <laughs> that's like a great way to live <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, so on to the final story. Um, sure. <laughs> slumber. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm coming right out now and saying this one's my favorite because it is, and you you'll find out why. Mm. So we've all been here. We've all experienced this feeling. Um, like, and this this story is the juxtaposition of sorrow and despair with contentment and true happiness and relaxation. Um, so, like, at its core, this is actually like a true paranoid masterpiece. And for someone like me, um, it, it comes with a warning. Um, I was actually more okay with this than I thought it would be. Um, I suffer occasionally with um intrusive thoughts like and um i i was actually okay with this and it became my favorite because i could fully understand where it was going and what it was doing like i i know the feeling well of waking up and then being hit by the dread of existence and the worrying and the cycling my head of everything that can go wrong and weird scenarios and everything else. And obviously the scenarios in my mind are nothing like what happens here. Like, you know, it, it's, it's like when I'm talking about intrusive thoughts, I'm talking about things that are, that my mind is creating and making up what, well, or more or less 100% fictional. Um, and it's to do with like all sorts of things like OCD and everything else. It's all a confluence of things. Um, and, like, it's uh, among among other things that I will wake up feeling anxious or full of dread, which is the opposite of what's happening in this book. Because I I I wake up, I will wake up anxious and full of dread, and then I will have to sit and calm myself down. Um, something fictional will happen in a dream, something awful, and I'll probably spend three minutes afterwards convincing myself that it never happened. And to kind of like bring myself down from the heightened state. Like it's a fully odd experience sometimes. And it's like opposite to the story um, altogether. And I, I've experienced this both ways where I've woken up and then felt awful after waking up. Or where I've woken up feeling awful and then had to calm myself down. And like I know this, this kind of like this, this thing that the book's trying to hammer home. I know it quite well. Um, and like the, the compounded by the idea of someone being able to project their memories onto you and convince you that you're capable of committing an atrocious crime is like my fucking worst nightmare. Because <laughs> like my brain does weird things to me anyway. Like I don't need someone else's brain telling my brain other shit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like a level I don't need. Um, and like it's, it's laid out here in, in these pages. Um, and it's just, it's just like, it's absolutely excruciating when you think about it on that level. 
<laughs> um, like the, the the thought of this memory projection thing and putting thoughts into the minds of others is actually something truly horrible. So, like, what what the the kind of like the the gist of this story is that there's this guy who he is experiencing murdering people and he is waking up every morning and then having like this brief fleeting feeling of everything is okay everything's fine before being assaulted by the memories of having committed some heinous crime the night before but then like thinking well i can't have done that how did i you know how could i have done that i'm not capable of this and slowly he is like conning himself into believing that he's actually done it and that he's capable of it because it keeps happening it's a recurring thing but what's actually happening is he's having memories projected into his head by the by the real killer mm-hmm. um and like it's just a it's just like a horrible fraught anxious few pages of this guy just like in this kind of like hot box of paranoia just trying to figure out whether he's capable of it whether he actually did it or not and even down to getting other people involved like and and getting other people to prove to you that you're not capable of that Mm. like or or, well getting other people to prove to you that 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 things never happened or whatever that's even another layer of things that that that, like you can you can conflate all of this with stuff that happens to people's minds in real life and stuff that people have experienced because this is kind of like the paranoid delusion um and like it's just yeah and and that's why ray <laughs> yeah it's an in- interesting perspective because like this is one of the ones that um i think worked for me less because it was less of the supernatural and more I, it's it's one of the few junjita books at least to to my memory that has like human on human violence where like the the horror is uh, or part of the horror because there's two things going on but one of the things is you see like gory bloodied corpses which were victims of you know violent attacks by other people and i feel like that's not really what i come to janjita for i come for like the the twisted spirals and like the the gaunt looking people with milky tears pouring from their face and stuff to see like what is essentially like an axe murderer or like a um, a, a stabbing sort of serial killer slasher um, slasher thank you um isn't really what i was expecting and like i was in fact, it was in in that way it was quite um, affecting because I wasn't expecting to see like a genuinely, uh, like realistically portrayed person who'd been slashed to death. You know what I mean? Like uh, I just wasn't expecting it. Um, but it's in, yeah, it's really interesting to hear your point of view of like the intrusive thought thing because for me this was not supernatural enough. I feel like it's one of those. I think uh, I read somewhere actually when I was researching about this story that it's. A story that's basically been done elsewhere in uh like twilight zone i think fringe has a really popular episode where it's basically somebody is committing these murders and then projecting the memories into somebody else's mind and like the big plot twist in in this story is that um the murderer actually lives immediately above our protagonist and so is projecting the the memories of committing the murder so that our protagonist will falsely um uh, word. Leave. So I'm looking. For... Well, no, well, like go to the police and uh, say, "Oh, I'm turn himself I'm... in." Yeah. yeah, turn himself in. Thank you. Um, confess. Confess. Yeah, he's going to falsely confess to the memories that are being implanted in his head, um, which I thought was an interesting plot twist. And like that's where the supernatural element comes in. 
and like um but otherwise it doesn't really give me much of that junji ito sort of discomforting uh like uncanny stuff apart from maybe in the the occasional glimpses we get into the murderer's hood where like the the murderer's sort of uh wide-eyed gaunt face is rendered in a different way to the rest of the comic it's like this uh ethereal sort of ghostly pale shadow that lives inside this hood um, yeah and it's just it's just drawn in a way that is completely at odds with the rest of the book in in a good way where like you just don't expect that face to exist in that space and i like that about it but apart from that it doesn't it's not really giving me what i what i wanted so it's it's nice to hear that in some ways it was cathartic for you because you connected to it in a way that i i couldn't yes yeah it's weird in in that way and like i like seeing the face of the killer as well this like horrible fish-eyed like cold-eyed <laughs> weird looking guy this twisted serial killer face and then like this ethereal face in the hood was really effective because that could be anyone it could be you um and and like i really liked the the kind of like there's some really awesome moments in it where it plays with like first person perspective as if you're you're wearing the hood looking out of the hood into the panel yeah yeah um and i i really liked that because i thought it was very dario argento hmm interesting and made that connection yeah and the whole thing is is like a it's kind of like a short slasher movie um like like a like because slasher movies like most modern slasher have like a kind of like a, a kind of a supernatural twist to them mm. supernatural twist being the memory thing and yes it's probably been done before it's in similar ways in similar place in, in other places but it, it felt cool to me as like this cool paranoid slasher thing going on like i i enjoyed that mm. um and i loved the, the kind of like the dario dario argento first person panels i thought they were great and like the relief and then the plunging despair and then the hope and then the hopelessness like getting ripped away um and just those panels where he's walking around about to hand himself in and he's like spiraling and i'm just like god damn <laughs> that's me <laughs> but like you know quite obviously i've never killed anyone <laughs> i just spiral about weird shit because that's just how my brain works but, do you yeah. find this cathartic to read these kind of things or triggering in any way or well like the warning that i gave up top comes because maybe some people would find it triggering like i i didn't actually find it as triggering as i thought i would mm. Mm. Like, i actually thought okay this is all right this is kind of actually a cool story mm. but yeah maybe it's because i'm in a good place at the moment <laughs> I, what did you think about the um the final the literally the very final panel twist review where it's even though our protagonist and He's left with the mind of the killer. Yes, it's almost like even though the killer was ultimately outed and then... Um, it ruined well, his life. And well, no, I, like, I thought that was a great reveal. Like, I really did. But are you reading like, it as though the murderer now exists in our protagonist's body? Yes. In, like, they fully in his mind. He's, he exists in his mind now, yeah. That's a like, terrifying concept. Like he really killed himself. It, well, he died in prison, but then as he as he was executed, he transferred his full mind into that guy's into that guy's body. Mm. Like that is what I'm seeing there, and like it, it's a slasher movie, even down to the fact that there's a final girl, a survivor. Mm. You know, 
it just has that that whole the whole kind of formula going for it which i really like so that one was my favorite can you pick a favorite from these because you seem pretty pretty like middling on all of them i mean middling strong like i middling um I, I i don't know i i think generally i'm more taken with his long form stuff um because i think sometimes when it's like a cool concept i feel like in the in this book they kind of sometimes overstay their welcome i would say i think weeping woman way my mm, weeping woman way and the spirit flow of aokigahara my two favorites out of these four uh, partly yeah. because of just the the imagery that they they give and the spirit flow just made me laugh a lot i think weeping yeah. woman way has the most affecting imagery for me i think it has some of the mm. best like um not just the the elongated uncanny stuff but also some really interesting posing of where like these these women who are like racked with uh with misery with sorrow right and like there's this one panel where um i can't remember the names mako i think it was uh yeah like she's just like she's on her knees having uh succumbed to like the the the, the renewed flood of tears and She's just sort of like howling into oh after after her death in fact after she, after her um her funeral or during her funeral where she comes out of her own casket and she's just screaming to the heavens and she's like stepping out of the flood of tears that she caused for herself in her own coffin and just yeah. like thoughtlessly screaming into the void It's just I don't know it's just something really affecting about those few panels uh, I really love the artwork in this story so I guess I guess from that I would say that. Yeah, that I I like slumber, um, for the first person panels alone. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, and I like, um, I also I also like the spirit flow of uh, Akigahara because of how weird it gets. <laughs> the thing is, would you, if you were recommending Junji to somebody, would you recommend this as the book to start with? Because I I don't think no. it's a I don't think it's the book to start with, but I think it's definitely a, a, a um, it's it's a good read and it's a fun read and it's a good Halloween read because it's like it's like weird uncanny tales and it's mm. like it's it's still a good Halloween, not a traditional like I wouldn't say it's traditionally horror, but it's like it's still like when you when you let these stories sit for a while, it's horrific enough. Um. Oh. Because the thing that I really like about this is in his afterword, you you really do get a sense that like, well, he literally says it. He says, I think I'm a bit tired after drawing manga for years on it. Like I'm out yeah. of good ideas. And I kind of respect the hustle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he still has to earn a living and he's still, he's still obviously got the talented chops. But, like, I feel like the creative juices aren't quite yeah. here in this book. And he's honest about it. And I, <laughs> I respect that, you know? It's creative enough. I like it. I wouldn't rec- I, I would say probably if you're going to start reading Junji, I'd start with Uzumaki. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think this is enough for me. Like, it's enough. It's good. It's a good Junji. St- I still think it's a good book and I'm not going to like disparage it in any way because I, I did actually enjoy it. Um, so I, I think, although it might not be his strongest work, it's still really cool and it's a good, it's a good, ha- it's a good one to pick up for Halloween for some short, strange stories akin to probably staying up late and watching The Twilight Zone, I'd say. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Bad, yeah. but not even bad. Like, middling Ito is still Ito, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's still good horror, it's still good good art. Yeah, I think middling's a strong word. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I regret that immediately. 
You put it in yeah. my head. <laughs> Transmitting my thoughts to you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. <laughs> How am I going to so... feel waking up tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, that has been the uh, Ace Comicals Halloween special. That is uh, Ace Comicals Junji Ween. Um, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, you can find us in the usual places. Um, the dark and damp um, crypt that is www.acecomicals.com where we um, we later rest everything that we do. <laughs> so uh, in there you will find uh, coffins upon coffins upon wooden boxes upon other types of things that you can stuff bodies into, refrigerators, washing machines, full of our content. Um, you can find us mostly on the um, in in the uh, the infinite hellscape of Twitter, which is where we are most active. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find us at Ace Comicals, and you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B A T T O U. Uh, currently, I am the Loft Dweller. Rahul, where can we find you? Also on Twitter at Monkey M O K E. Yes. So uh, that has been the Ace Comicals Junji Ween special. Uh, I, the Loft Dweller, bid you a happy Halloween. Enjoy yourselves. Scare yourselves stupid. And get out of my library. That has been Ace Comicals. Over and out.